Okay, here we go. Here we go. Is that, uh, am I on? Yep, good. Okay, let's pray. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Amen. Uh, man, a lot of action in church this morning. But that was good. I mean, if you want them in church, you're going to have days like that. So uh, I was like, usually there's a moment of silence somewhere, but not today. So uh, that, that, but that's okay, because when they, the cool thing was, we, we were the first ones out, and then all these kids come charging out, and they clump together, which, of course, if you're trying to have a church, you want kids to clump together. So there you go. All right, I'll try to shoot you through this fairly quickly. I'll tell you what I know. First, you know, thanks for letting me go. It was a very interesting, uh, it was a very interesting uh, little trip. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's like all other things. Can you send that around, please? So there is an evangelical Lutheran church in Spain. Uh, there, have been, there have been Lutherans ever since the Reformation, but uh, they've been repressed a bit. In fact, you know, you learn things or maybe you should have known and didn't remember. Um, you know, up until Franco's death, it was illegal to be anything but Catholic. It was actually illegal. So Dr. Just lived in Spain when he was younger. His father was an executive for GE, and they lived both in Mexico City and in Spain. And he said they used to sneak out to a mausoleum in a cemetery where this um, pastor would sort of meet, an Episcopal priest would meet kind of all the you know, Lutheran Episcopal types, and they, you know, nobody really knew what was going on, and that's where he would go to church. So there's this, this vivid thing of you, you, if you weren't Catholic, you were uh, illegal. So that's kind of an, uh, an interesting thing. What I was invited, the Missouri Senate has been restructured over the past couple of years. I can't quite remember exactly how it all works, but there's the president. It's a simpler structure. There's somebody for um, national missions. That's Bart Day. He's a friend of ours. He's been here occasionally for Westfield House. And then there's a guy, Randy Golt, who is in charge of all the international things. And then under him, there are guys who, um, there's basically the Missouri Senate to slice the world up into five pieces. So one piece is uh, Latin America, South America, and then because of the common language, Spain. And I'll talk about that a little bit as opposed to culture in just a little bit. So um, what's happened is, is that the Argentinians, uh, the Argent there's a couple hundred thousand Lutherans in Argentina. Uh, they speak Spanish. They have a seminary that makes them a good possibility to help, you know, other places. The Brazilians have a very large seminary, a lot of Lutherans, but of course they speak Portuguese. That's problematic. So when they were casting around, saying, "How can we get the church in Spain going again?" There are these Lutherans who are popping up, not unlike how Lutherans popped up in Russia. There are these Lutherans, you know, who are around. Who will take care of them? How will we get the church organized? What will happen? So um, they've been at it about a decade. 12 years, I think, and there was um, this meeting coming up, you know, what shall we do, who's in, who's out, how do we go forward, how will we pay for it, what's the best model, and that's what I was asked to attend, partly because they know St. John has an interest in missions, and frankly, partly they know St. John gives money to missions. We give, there was a very good question at, um, at the voters meeting, you know, where does the money go? John is sort of offhandedly said we, we give $100,000 at least. I think they've been totaling that up while I was gone. We're up to about $107,000 that went to missions in this fiscal year. So they know, and we'll give you a detail. We might even make a video for that because it's kind of fun for you to know that. But um, that'll, you know, we'll, we'll get that out to you in the next week or two as, as things kind of firm up. So, so anyway, they know that you're interested in missions. They know you've helped in Russia. They know you've helped in Ghana. They know you've helped Westfield House. In fact, in a couple of weeks, the American board for Westfield House is meeting here along with um, people are flying in from Britain and other places to meet at St. John. We're going to host them for a day. I think it's the 11th and 12th of July. So anyway, you have a reputation for being in interested in missions. 
and so they know that. So that was partly how my invitation came. Uh, we ended up, there were two parts. Um, there was a very vigorous first 10 days or so. We went about um, 2,000 kilometers. So it was, you know, a place in the car, you know, meet people, talk. Uh, one of the great, you know, what I didn't, <laughs> one of the things I had to adjust to was this notion that one is um, the Spanish, you know, don't get up very early. So we once said to these people, you know, can we meet you at 10 for breakfast? And they're like, whoa, that's way early for breakfast in Spain. <laughs> the other thing is once they start eating, um, they just keep eating. So they have five meals a day. So you eat breakfast, then you have a mid-morning, then you have a later huge lunch. That's the big deal. Then there's a mid-afternoon, and then there's an evening. The evening thing starts about 10 p.m. And then so there were nights, I mean, one vivid night, you know, we were up till 2.30 in the morning, and they're like, let's just keep going. And, you know, we were doing Bible study and question and answer, and you're just like, holy cow, you know, it's going to be tomorrow soon. So um, that was very interesting. So the first part was about, whoops, uh, the, the first part was, um, you know, 10 or 11 days of, of this, and then uh, my wife and uh, Linda just came over kind of for the last six days, and we spent some time with a seminarian and his wife, and then also just goofing around a little bit too. So I'll show you all of that. So anyway, we started in Madrid. We flew to Madrid. That's where the Foro was. We met in a, uh, in a convent there for about uh, three days. Uh, then we took a short trip down to Toledo. I'll show you that. Then we came back, went to Valencia. Then we went down the coast uh, and over to Granada, up to Seville, and then back to um, uh, back up. So it was, a, it was a long trip. The good thing for me is, is um, I can sleep anywhere. So the thing is, I would get in the car and say good night which they thought was hilarious, but for me it was great because I would go to sleep in Madrid and I would wake up in Sevilla, you know? So it was like, hey, this is great for me. Uh, so anyway, kind of a long trip. And there are Lutherans in each of these places, more and less. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to figure out what to, what to do. Now, just some observations about, um, uh, well, I should, before I say that, there are hundreds, a few hundred Lutherans scattered around here. There are a couple hundred thousand Germans who live on the coast in retirement. It's sunny there, and they all get together. And the German government actually pays for places like Windermere. So they actually pay Spain to have retirement homes for Germans. It's the whole EU thing, and the borders are open, and the common currency, and it's easy, and you can have your Social Security sent. There are also Norwegians. There's a Norwegian mission society um, which is very interested in doing evangelism work uh, in Spain, and they actually, you know, so the church in Scandinavia is kind of falling apart. Um, you know, chief evidence almost, you know, there's, the chief evidence was a pastor who preached uh, about a year ago that um, according to the scriptures, homosexuality was wrong. They took him to jail. So, because that was hate speech, considered hate speech. So it's gonna kind of gone that far. So the church is, it's very difficult. There have been independent Lutheran churches beginning to set up. There are also these Norwegians. It's a Norwegian mission society that has money, but they don't have an interest in putting it toward that. So they're looking around for partners. Also, I'll tell you a lot of story in advance, and I'll show you stuff. There's also um, some attraction to, um, from other Protestants. So one night we spent with a Presbyterian who pastors a Baptist church who's about to retire, and the whole lot of them said, well, we, maybe we'd like to be Lutheran. So, and you're kind of going, you know, do you really want to take 100 or 200 people from another church and integrate them into it? I mean, suddenly, you know, you've, 
doubled the number of people in your whole church body, but they aren't really, so what do you do with that? So there's all these cross currents, okay? There's Protestantism, there's people who are um, living in a Catholic culture, there's the Germans, there's the Norwegians, there's us. And so you stir all this up and people are trying to figure out exactly what to do. And of course it costs money, so people are saying, what's the most effective way to pay for it? Who do we put where? Um, whom do we put where? What, you know, what do we do? That was, so that was the topic. Uh, at the same time, the Argentinians are saying, you know, we've put in about 10 years of this and we've paid for a lot of stuff, so we're, we're going to withdraw and let somebody else have a go at it. Um, then last thing before I start to, the other thing is, one of the things I struck with in Europe, nobody goes to church, uh, you know, under 5%. It's, 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 it's as unchurched as the Soviet Union, you know, under 5% of the people go to church. There were two sort of interesting things about Spain which I observed. One is I went in a lot of churches. I spent a lot of time in churches for a range of reasons. Um, I like to watch when services are going on. I like to look at the artwork. I like to, of course, I'll show you some cool stuff that even we don't have at St. John. Um, I, I like to, one of the things, so one of the things I like to see if anybody's in church, one of the interesting things was that during masses people were at church, you know, you go to a noon mass or a one o'clock mass and there'd be 80 or 100 people. Now, this would be like 80 or 100 people in New York City. So <coughs> percentage-wise, it's not a huge amount of people, but it is interesting that people are there. Um, the other thing is, and this was an interesting tell, uh, there are a lot of young pregnant women. Now, you don't see that in Europe. Um, the, birth place, the birth rates are in um, great decline. Even in Spain, they are in great decline. Uh, and they're having a huge row about the abortion thing because the, the king and queen have come out in favor of it. It's been quite a disappointment. But the interesting thing was, as you saw in Germany when we were there, that was an odd thing to see. And people weren't so interested, but people were very interested in family, very interested in children, and very interested in eating. Now, that may sound strange to you, but all the, all the heavy lifting is done over meals because it's all done amidst family, because it's all done in community. It's a very interesting, uh, different way of proceeding. It's kind of a throwback to American 1950s. So we often found ourselves, it was always, always a meal, it was always drinks, it was always beers, it was always a glass of wine, it was always, can you come for coffee? It was always, the work is done, you know, with people, um, you know, over meals. So anyway, that was the grand route, a couple hundred thousand kilometers. So here we go. Uh, go ahead, what do you got? Less, my left, you gotta go, there you go. Gearing up for the trip. That's Ted Cray. He's the Missouri Senate guy. Uh, he's a young guy. He's in the Dominican Republic. Um, he has a guy who will wrap fresh cigars for 70 cents a piece, and they look like a Nathan's hot dog. And he brought us, you know, a big thing to kind of sustain us. Now, it would be poor form not to smoke cigars with a guy who brings them from the Dominican with you. So, uh, you, know, you, you know, food for the journey. Okay, so Ted Cray, that's your guy. Keep going. Let's see what's next. Um, I just sort of walk you through how beautiful the place is. I mean, this is an evening. Um, the Spanish, uh, they're filled with plazas and parks. They're lit. They're beautiful. Uh, it's wonderful. The streets seem extraordinarily safe. Um, you know, we were out till all hours of the night. Kind of click ahead. And you can just sort of see, you know, how, how beautiful things are. This is the um, cathedral in Madrid, uh, which is in itself a very nice thing, but click again. This is not the cathedral. This is the crypt behind the cathedral. This is the place you get buried out of, which was quite remarkable. So we were poking in, and almost nobody goes in. A Spanish person said, you know, the cathedral is nice, but you need to go in the crypt. 
and it was alive. I mean, families were there. There were flowers on the floor. There are, you know, altars along the side. It was alive with people um, remembering their family. It was a very interesting tell. Go to the next thing. There's the sacristy. So, of course, you know, we always, we depend on some language confusion. When people say, How, who are you? We say, we're priests. Now, of course, we have wedding rings on. So sometimes we say, we're priests, like this. <laughs> uh, but, but the sacristy was open. They were, they was, it was between masses. And we're like, hey, we, that's it. So that is what their sacristy looks like, um, which is quite remarkable, because they have a sacristan who lays out the vestments. You can click to the next one. And um, has the mass ready. So it just gets transported there. You click, click again. Uh, this is very interesting because who's got good? Whose Spanish is good? What's it say? Oh my gosh! So there are different. There are all sorts of different troubles that are going on there. I don't. I know what it says, but I don't want to give a bad translation. You'll notice that out of Jesus' heart comes red and blue, which is what? Right. Exactly. And so John and First John. Can you see what it says? Yeah, so everything is about Jesus, I trust in you. But of course, for Protestants, Jesus, I trust in you, that makes us all reflect on our heart. What part of the artwork is trying to do there is to get you to reflect on Jesus' heart. You see? So it's an extra nose thing. That's a very Lutheran way to talk about things, which is Jesus, I trust in you, but the trust is in baptism and Eucharist. Click again for me, please. This was a woman who said, you know, who are you? And then we said, couldn't you get us back there? She said, I could. She was a lay person, um, very interesting kind of history, but in the end, very sort of, uh, very strong Catholic. She was going to Mass. She was very interested in us. We were interested in her for a bunch of different reasons. It was really interesting. This is the first time I've heard this rumor, but I have heard it now. I heard it several times in Europe about the resignation of Benedict. Her take on Benedict was that Benedict had put um, in irreversible changes um, that wouldn't be realized in his lifetime but were irreversible. Because there was irreversible and more conservative, liturgical, doctrinal, there was a group of bishops and cardinals who would no longer work with him. And so there was a sense that um, he put these things in and then resigned, not because he was tired, but because he saw that because he felt that he would be ineffective in future years. I cross-checked that with a bunch of people. That seems to be a story floating around Europe um, with a lot of people. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's the first time I had heard it, but it was, it was really interesting given the, the fortitude and intelligence that Benedict had. So that was her take on it. That was a very interesting way. And of course, you've heard over the last week or so that there, you know, uh, uh, Francis has pulled out the, the report that Benedict left for him and, you know, all kinds of things are going on and what will happen next. So stay tuned. But anyway, it's always great when you meet people who are gracious enough to kind of show you around and not, you know, she was very interested in telling us this is what the church is, but partly because she'd had um, a difficult life, a non-Christian life, and was sort of pulled into the church. Okay, go ahead, please. Uh, this is the group of guys. So... Um, this Gustavo's in Argentine. He was sort of bright boy at the semin seminary in Argentina. He's been in uh, Madrid for seven years. This is Alberto Gro, who is the secretary of the Argentine church. This is Carlos Nagel, who is the president of the Argentine church. So they felt responsibility to sort of come and, you know, put a bow on the work that had been done over the past ten years. As soon as they um, figure out what to do, Gustavo will go home. So the Argentines will withdraw. 
uh, but what to do is the difficult thing. This guy is Javier. He's a kind of a patrician. He's very well-spoken, very well-mannered. He's sort of the old man who for years has been sort of chasing down this, but in Madrid there aren't a lot of other Lutherans. So in a sense he's on his own, but in another sense he's sort of the glue that's held this together for a lot of the time. Um, this guy is a seminarian, Jose Luis. He's, he may be the guy to put our money on. He is in Valencia. He's young. His entire family is Catholic. He's um, you know, he probably toward ordination in the next year or so. Uh, he feels, you know, we talked to him a couple of different times. He feels very much alone, but, you know, we've, because, you know, this is a difficult thing. He studies long distance with Argentina. He only gets time when a tutor shows up or when somebody like us shows up, and then, you know, it's straight theology for the week that we're there. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, this guy, um, all these guys will be worker priests. There's not going to be enough money to have them, at least in the first analysis, there's not going to be enough money for them to uh, be supported as pastors because the congregations aren't going to be big enough. So um, he works for a cancer society. His wife uh, also works. One of the strange things is that um, people go to work in the morning, like 9 to noon, then they come home and take a couple hours off. So she came home in the middle of the day and made us lunch, the big meal, I'll show you. And then she goes back to work. Also, kids come home. They go to they go to school till about noon. Then they come home for two or three hours. Then they go back until five. So these kids went up to school, and then suddenly they're back. I'm like half day of school. They're like, no, this is normal. The kids come home. It's this whole family deal where you see your kids, even though they go to school. You you see them in the morning. You only turn them loose a couple of hours. Then you see them again for a couple of hours. Then they go. Then you have them again in the evening. It's it's very very interesting how it's all structured. Anyway, so he works um, for the Cancer Society. This guy, so he's, um, so these guys are Argentinian. This guy is Spanish. This guy is Spanish. This guy is Venezuelan. He works for uh, Repsol. Uh, he and his lovely Venezuelan wife, it was very interesting to see the, the, the Argentinians are a bit straight-laced. The Venezuelans, Diego, are a lot of fun, okay? <laughs> That's what I learned on this trip. That if you're from Venezuela, you are a lot of fun. Uh, man, I just, I mean, there's a whole other side to you that I didn't, but I'm willing to indulge now. So, um, he, he, I mean, he is the most gregarious. He's a catechist in the church. One of the things he went to is he, in an apartment, had gathered four or five men, and they're running through the small catechism, and it's like, you know, I don't speak Spanish, but I could sort of pick up where it was going because I, you know, know what they were on about. So anyway, he's a great guy, works for Repsol. This guy is the only, um, so, seminarian catechist, which means he probably will start going to seminary soon. This guy, uh, um, Juan Carlos, works for Airbus. He builds, uh, he builds jetliners. He's in charge of, you know, one particular section, 13 guys. And, uh, but he's ordained, and he is, uh, he is the pastor in Sevilla. So, you know, so, they have, like, so basically you're looking at one pastor, one missionary, one pastor, one catechist, one seminarian. That's kind of the state of the church. And Dr. Just has spent his last two sabbaticals in Spain, um, three or four or five months each time, going around visiting these places, having church, teaching, answering questions, trying to help them get organized. Um, then the other, the other three Americans. So that was the group that met in Madrid trying to get this thing lined out. Okay, keep going. This is very, you can see it's very humble origins. This is actually the, um, this is one of the chapels in the convent. It's always dicey when the Lutherans show up because 
the nuns are always like, sure, you can use our place. And then when the priest gets winds of it, or maybe the bishop, it's like, uh, they're not us, you see. Uh, even when I went down to Springfield to be chaplain for this pastor's conference that was held at, a, at the Chiara Center, the nuns are like, sure, do whatever you want. The next day there was a note from the priest, don't go inside the altar rail. So it's always, you know, a little dicey. I mean, they let us go, and so we were able to have the Eucharist keep going, if you will. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's the size of the, you know, there's the church in Madrid. You know, there's probably a few more people hanging around, but basically, you know, people are gathered in 20s and 30s. Um, so basically, that's the group. Uh, keep going. This Gustavo is, whoops, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. You can still go here. This is the Baptist guy, uh, Gustavo, his wife, and his two kids. This is um, a glorious place whose tr name translate, restaurant translates to the Museum of Ham. Like, <laughs> which is like, I'm all about the, uh, I didn't show you all this, but you know, you see the big like ham things, you know, the, the big, you know. And I said, you know, if you had one of those, I, how would that last a year? They're like, that would last a month. Now the interesting thing is you can buy the whole, I mean, you can spend as much as you want. You can buy the whole, you know, the whole leg for, couple hundred dollars, but to have the guy come in and cut it, 300 euros an hour. And if it's not cut properly, what's the use, right? So, all right, keep going. We'll see what happens. Uh, this, I'm only showing you this, not because it's famous, because it's beautiful. This is a cathedral in uh, Segovia. Keep going. And, you know, this is like the kind of place where nobody goes. And you're thinking to yourself, man, you know, people should go here. I mean, this place is, this is the back. Click again, if you would. Uh, this is very interesting. So a couple of things. I'm going to tweak you toward um, our sanctuary and things we still need to do. There's a couple of things here that are interesting. One is I'd never seen this before, um, Jesus in linen. Uh, now, when we, were, when we first bought our vestments and stuff like this, sort of linen is the next formal step. I mean linen in lace. Lace is sort of the next formal step beyond linen. We didn't know how much you could take. It doesn't wear quite as well. I was struck by the, but it is a bit more formal. It's, you know, it's a, it's a bit more, it's beyond, um, you know, sort of the normal linen usage. The thing I was interested in is there's, you know, the rabbis say, God is never pictured from the waist down. I was surprised because I saw a couple of uh, completely nude Jesus on the cross things. And that is very, very rare. And I was just curious about this. I only took it to kind of remind me, one of um, the addition of lace, which is clearly anachronistic. But the other thing is, is I wonder about the original painting, whether this was original to it. I doubt it. What I guess is that somebody's sensibilities got a little disturbed, and probably that was added later. But I just sort of put that in kind of as a memory. I have a couple other memory things I want to show you as we go. All right, see what's next. Uh, just the gr I mean, this is like, the great thing about Europe is, I mean, this is just kind of a throwaway church, in a small town that was important once in a while, but I mean, you just, this is just the side. I didn't even give you the, so I gave you the back aisle, that's where I was standing. This is the side aisle, if you turn left. It's not even the main bit, um, but just the joy of how well that's maintained and, and the beauty of it. Okay, give me the next thing. Anybody recognize that? Uh, good, but what is that? That's the Disney Castle. One of the two. The German one always gets credit, but this is the other one. I'm like, I've seen this. They're like, yeah, I know. This is the model for one of the two Disney castles. You see the turrets going up? You see that? So I was just curious that in this little town, there you go. Okay. Uh, 
There you go. Yeah, I know, you have to get outside once in a while. You can see how the edge of it, you know, it goes straight down. There was a moat that was about 200 feet deep, which is just crazy. All right, next thing. Let's see. Uh, this is kind of the broad, this is your cool new, you know, application where you can take, you know. So this is Toledo, which is said to be one of the most beautiful towns in Spain. Um, it's ridiculously good. Uh, medieval, wonderful. Go to the next thing. This is uh, a little hotel, so that was the wide thing. In this little hotel, you know, Dr. Just, 10 years ago, celebrated the Lutheran Eucharist probably for the first time in 400 years, which is really kind of an amazing thing. I mean, there had been no record of a, of a Lutheran Eucharist there for about 400 years. A little later, I'll give you some sad stories about the Inquisition, um, but it was kind of this, uh, you know, kind of this revival again. Click the next one if you would. Um, you can just see, you know, the, these narrow medieval up and down sort of things. Go to the next one. Now, this is very interesting. Go back one time. Uh, we were there, and I hadn't, you know, I didn't keep up on my Catholic calendar, but we were there for Corpus Christi. You know, Corpus Christi is where they take the hosts through the streets. Um, it got the Lutherans upset for, for a range of reasons, but it does show a particular relevance and has a particular cultural pull. But you would never go to any city in America where you would have, you know, can you see at the top, it's not just this, but can you see at the top the host in the chalice? I mean, this is in the city square. There's no, and that's, that thing is probably, you know, 12 feet high. There's no place you would go. Click to the next one. Then here's the broader view. Every one of these is like a, some sort of Eucharistic, you know, loaves and fishes, a chalice, the Holy Spirit coming down. I mean, this is decorated. Now, this is not, no longer considered purely a Catholic country. After Franco's demise, you know, everything is sort of free. But one of the possibilities here is that at least religion popularly still has a hold on people. Click to the next one. So you can see how, you know, everything is sort of decorated. And that's kind of a stunning thing. You walk in and, gosh, you can't escape the fact that the Eucharist is really, you know, at the center of people's lives, culturally, if not otherwise. Okay, keep going. Uh, just the walk path. That's a monastery on both sides. Keep going. Uh, this is just somebody's front entrance, you know, where you peek in and you go, hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, just the beauty of that, you know. And that wasn't like, you know, anybody who was particularly rich. This was just sort of, you know, you often, you have those high walls, as you often know, you know, you knock on the door and you walk in and the first thing you do is get into a garden. Well, this is particularly, you know, the Spanish way of doing it. It's very nice. Keep going. Um, and you can see even above, even above, they hang that uh, canopy over the top, and they bring these lights in just for the Corpus Christi. The whole, the whole thing is sort of decorated. All right, go again. Uh, and that, go again, please. It's just amazing to actually see, you know, Caritas, love, you know, just kind of a reminder of people. I was very taken by how, how, how much this enveloped this town. Go ahead, please. Uh, you can go again. This is a very interesting story. Can you see? Uh, can you see this? Can you see that? It's, it's not. It's not actually. Those are actually chains hanging on the wall of this church. Um, there was a group of Franciscans there, who took it as um, they heard this text that Jesus from that we always read for toward Christmas that Jesus comes among other things. You remember to. Um, to, uh, you know, make the blind see and the lame walk and to set the captives free. This order of Franciscans, they would um, save their money 
and they would go down to the center of town and they would buy slaves. And they would bring them home and set them free and sort of, just to let everybody know what was cooking, they would hang the chains on the side of their church. So this church all the way around is covered with these huge chains that the slaves used to wear. They've been there for hundreds of years. It's remarkable stuff. But what, you know, this great witness of you build this great church, but you know, you also pay attention to people outside the church. Go ahead if you would. This isn't Toledo, yeah. Um, you can, that's just the same thing a little farther back. Okay, see what else is there. Weird things that happen. Um, you know, we get this call, would we meet this guy who collects German things? He's actually a Protestant. I think he might be Presbyterian or something, but he's got all these old books. He's like one of these, he's like these guys who collect things and their whole, wor their whole world is filled with things they've collected. And they retire somewhere, they get old and everybody forgets about them and they've got all this stuff and they're like, hey, my stuff's important and nobody thinks their stuff's important. But for some reason, he calls us and says, I think I have an original edition of Luther's Small Catechism. Will you come and see it? So check it for us. So like we're like, we slam the brakes on, like drive back and see this guy. Um, and of course, you know he's Lutheran because he's got his Luther bobblehead doll right there. Yeah, yeah right. You know, some things are universal. Okay, click ahead. So this is the book. Um, as best as I could work out, it was probably a second edition. It was so interesting, though, because it was before they actually printed the date and it was before they actually numbered um, the pages. So it was very interesting to try to... The other thing is, is people usually won't let you touch these things. In fact, when I worked in archives before, you always wear gloves. Often it's under glass. Well, he's just got all this stuff around, and he's not going to last that much longer. So he was excited. We were interested. Would we stop? Yeah, so it was probably, um, you know, it's, within, it's certainly within 100 years of the Reformation. It's vellum-bound. There are some things you can tell. It's hand-tooled. Go to the next one if you would. Um, and there's sort of the, you know, the, the entry page. But it doesn't have the date, and it doesn't say where it was printed, which is, you know, that, that makes it early. Those are things people thought of later, you know. <laughs> should probably mark down where we did this. Okay, keep going. If I was going to steal something on the trip, this would have been it. <laughs> um, you probably can't read this, but this says uh, Hagia Sophia, Constantinople. These are um, chips from the mosaics from Istanbul. This was back in the day when you could travel and pick a few things up. Uh, I'm like, you have chips from the mosaic? Well, they were on the floor, and so the Muslims weren't used. So I thought I would just, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. So, um, but that was very fun because those, as you know, Hagia Sophia is this great place that's now a museum slash mosque, which occasionally Jesus peeks through where they've put the whitewash up. Uh, it's one of the places I still, you know, before I die, you know, that's one of the very few places I feel like I have to go. Uh, Istanbul's a little bit in turmoil right now, but um, it's a life-changing kind of place. Anyway, okay, click the next one. Okay, everything is a lesson. So his family had um, land in Greece. I mean, this is just an aside thing. This is like we're sitting and talking, and what else have you got, and how about this, and have you ever seen one of these? His family has la land in Greece. He says, have you ever seen one of these? This is dated about two or 300 B.C. So, you know, when he's handing it to you and you're going, yeah, if I drop this, because, you know, uh, you know, it's a couple thousand years old. Uh, and he had, these are just extras because he had some other things from the dig. But this thing, uh, you know, he's, I said, you know, what is this? He said, well, th you know, this is the Bible story. This is the virgins who didn't get oil. I'm like, really? How does that work? Now watch this. This is the pot, 
And on top, you recognize that if you've ever been to the Holy Land or you bought a lamp. This is the lamp, but go to the next one. Watch this. So there it is. You see how the top is the lamp and the bottom is the oil? So there's the story. This is the, the foolish virgins who didn't get oil. for. So they've got an empty jug. So your lamp and your jug go together, right? But they, they had nothing in it. And that is, it's been repaired. You can see it's been repaired one place here. But that's pretty accurate, um, pretty old, cool stuff. Okay, go to the next one. <laughs> of course, as you know, you always have to put it next to something so you know how big it was. Uh, and and uh, this, is a bit of a, this is a bit of a poke in the eye. The beer is named Alhambra, which, of course, is the great Muslim yeah, palace, mosque thing, which they are so big on selling beer there. So, you know, it's the locals name their beer after a Muslim. Okay, you get it. Um, but anyway, just in case you wanted to know how big that actually was in real life, there you go. All right, keep going. Oh, this is good. So I, they took a picture so I could steal stuff in the background. But that guy, I mean, his, he's got all these books that are, and I actually, you know, you wonder yourself, when the guy dies, where's it go? I mean, he has a very kind wife who's, she's Swiss, you know, but they've lived there for 20 or 25 years. And, you know, he's got stuff in there. I mean, that is quite a, I mean, that's cool stuff. So, but you know what? What are you going to do? All right, keep going. You could have a garage sale, but the, the numbers would be, you know, that'd be, that'd be. Uh, hey, catechesis. Okay, so more people. You recognize the Venezuelan friend. Um, this is somebody who met us. I got no idea who this was. So here's what happened is, hey, we just happened to be there when there was a street fair. Now, the way this worked is you buy tickets and then you eat things. So I'm a pretty adventuresome eater. eater. I mean, I had great bowl of snails. They were in season. They were fantastic. It came like in a soup bowl and like over the top for like $2. That was great. I mean, I ate everything in sight. I did eat, but I will draw the line in the future at. So my Spanish isn't very good. And they're saying, would you like to eat a piece of the bowl at the Matadors? I'm like, hey, I've lived in Colorado and I've eaten that piece of the bowl. <laughs> and then they're like, no, this will be different. And you know, there's kind of this, I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. And they bring me this thing that looks like a small hamburger patty that's about like this and about this thick. Okay, what is it? It's the bull tail. So let me just give you some advice. You should just pass on that, okay? <laughs> if you get to a street fair and you've had a couple of beers and you're trying to make friends with the locals, you don't believe them in the baby Jesus, you probably can pass on it and still get to them with the Eucharist, okay? So um, this guy is interesting. This is the guy I stayed with. Um, he and his wife, both doctors from Colombia. So, you know, we're pretty much covering South America. They're not as much fun as the Venezuelans. Um, they, they were both very well educated. Uh, interesting thing about national health care, this is not a political statement, just an observation. Driving home last night, you heard that, uh, oh, I heard on the national news that um, Britain no longer has enough doctors to fund national health care. People won't work anymore because you're supposed to see 60 patients a day. And all, basically, doctors in England have psychological problems because they're so stressed and nobody will become a doctor anymore. And you remember that put against the Olympics saying national health care is fantastic? Well, and I'll just say, I actually do think everybody needs health care, but how you do it, the strategy is a different deal, okay? Um, they're both doctors. They can't get a job in Spain because there's not enough funding. So they're two unemployed doctors. The only way that they can get a and they've worked in the past and they've been laid off. They're very good. So they're studying for specialties. If they don't get their specialties, then they're going to be deported in the next you know, couple of months. So this is all... A lot going on. That's sort of a long way to say they were hardcore Marxist-Leninist atheists when they were in Colombia. 
Then they got religion because his brother became Buddhist, they became Buddhist, okay? These are the people I stayed up with like two in the morning. So suddenly, you know, they found out about the little baby Jesus and now it's like, whoa, the whole world has opened up and everything we ever knew, what do you do with that? Um, so it was very interesting because you have these very intelligent, you know, very sort of, you know, upper class folks who suddenly, you know, the gospel gets a grip on them. So um, anyway, part of the fun. Go to the next thing. Uh, this is, um, so this is Antonio's wife. So Venezuelans, Argentinians, and then these two are both doctors from Colombia. Uh, and they were wonderful. She, <laughs> so okay, so the, the <laughs> this is the line of the, the whole trip was, um, she's very rational. In fact, I mean, she just like everything, doom, 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 doom. So then, of course, after a couple of beers, she's saying to Dr. Just, hey, would you like to learn to merengue? And I'm like, this is going to be great. <laughs> and so suddenly this doctor who is, how are we doing for time? Or my guy, are we okay? About 20 minutes. 20 minutes. So, so suddenly this doctor who has been completely rational is like, who are you? And of course, Dr. Just thinks this is wonderful. So uh, if he could have been, you know, on Dancing with the Stars, he'd have been on it. So anyway, at some point I said, you know, she, uh, he, she said to him, you have to think with your hips, right? And I'm like, that's what you need to do. You need to think with your hips. So this became sort of the, when she would push everything to the rational end, the answer wasn't because Jesus said so in the Bible. The answer was, you really need to think with your hips. Yeah, right? <laughs> Because at some point, you can't prove people into believing. At some point, it's the experience of Christ that makes you different. Okay, keep going. Uh, that's their son, who was remarkably polite, perfect English, and of course, perfect Spanish. And I just, you know, you wonder what will happen to the guy, because if they get moved around. But anyway, it was fun. And of course, this is universal. Um, that's somebody, you know, you can't ever get a picture anywhere in the world without some kid or pastor doing that. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Um, this is a Catholic church, so, so this is how good Antonio, the, our, the, 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 um, the Venezuelan guy is. He's talked the local priest into letting the Lutherans meet in the Catholic church and have services. Now that is going some, because what's going to happen is, if they're successful, what will happen? You know, immediately the competition. So right now, you're just an anomaly, you're an interesting anomaly. If it works, um, and then you have a whole other thing about where do you meet and, and how do you go forward and how much that costs and everything. But anyway, just to sort of remind myself that's what was going on. All right, keep going. Um, this is in Sevilla. This is the cathedral in Sevilla. It's the third largest Gothic cathedral in the world. It has the largest altar in the world, which we couldn't get to because people were being married one after another on a Saturday. Click around. So if you have a cathedral, then you can get your wedding picture at the cathedral. Click for me. There you go. And what bride doesn't want to be like, you know, she was actually very good by the time they got her all set up. Click again. This is interesting. This is the square where the Inquisition met to execute people. So this was sobering um, for a range of reasons. There were a number of Lutherans and also Catholics. The way the story is told is it was as much about uh, consolidating wealth to the church, so basically stealing people's money and land, as it was um, about religious purity. So here's how it worked. Um, there were spies everywhere. This is, you know, during the Inquisition. So it began with, you know, um, you know, Muslims and Jews, obviously suspect, but then Protestants. And how this works is 
they would gather information for years about people with some network of spies, and you didn't ever know that you were on the, you know, you were the one being investigated. And they'd come in the middle of the night, pick you up, and bring you before a tribunal in this square. Um, at the tribunal, you're, you had two choices. You could confess, and if you confessed, you would lose everything you owned, but you could go free. Or you could not confess, and then you'd be on your way to execution. About um, two blocks from this, there's a gate where you, they would stop, and you could gaze over the cathedral. Um, your choice would be you could confess, and if you confessed, uh, now it wasn't that just that you lost your stuff. You would be either put to a monastery or a nunnery or sold into slavery. So you could confess, or if you didn't confess, you could go on to execution. You know, farther down the road, there was the place where they burned you at the stake. Um, you had one last chance to confess just before they lit the fire. If you confessed, they would slit your throat so you didn't die by the flames. Or if you didn't confess, um, you know, you'd be burned alive. So it was sobering to kind of be in the place where Lutherans were sort of clean, mopped up and taken away. Um, it's a different time, and we kind of almost can't make sense of that. Um, you know, Christianity has a history. That's part of the history. It's a difficult part of the history. But it is important to remember um, what people died for. It was very, uh, you know, that was a very sobering place to kind of be there. Uh, but it is, you know, wonderful, but it is difficult. All right, keep going. Uh, the pastors have what they call, you know, church in a box, church in a suitcase. So they pull a suitcase in, you know, and they have this triptych that kicks out, and they fold everything up in any table, then just becomes an altar. Go again. This is in Sevilla. Part of the reason we redid our trip, we were going one way and then we turned around and went the other way because his daughter was being confirmed, so there's her confirmation class, she's it. Now, the interesting thing is, is that, and because of the family emphasis, a whole bunch of her unchurched and Catholic and other kind of friends came to this. So the room was filled with, you know, 50 people, uh, and she's being confirmed. Um, basically, wherever we went, doctor just preached, and uh, the Spaniards did the liturgy. So click again for me, please. Um, and that was the group for the morning. So, you know, you can see you get, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 people out um, of different shades and different interests. And, you know, you have that in four or five or six places. You don't have huge numbers of people, but there are people. So what are you going to do with them? That's the whole question. Um, click again, if you would. This is great. Um, this is in Valencia. So now the guy said who was the seminarian. He lives in Valencia. So these guys are all separated by, you know, hundreds of kilometers from each other. He lives in Valencia. And the, the great thing about this church was the name of this church um, was St. Mary's for the martyrs, the innocents, and the dispossessed. That is, like the woman in the gospel for today. I can't see his a quarter tail. There's only a couple things left. I'll, get you, I'll have you out in four minutes. Click ahead. Um, it was Corpus Christi. That's all made of flowers. And that was outside the door for the day. Click again. You can see the scale of it. Click again, if you would. Um, just a couple things to observe here. Uh, this, is the, this is the church for the dispossessed. This is the cathedral. You can see, of course, it's made the sign of the cross. These windows are alabaster, like the woman um, with the jar today. So interesting. When Jesus says, you didn't give me oil, she gave me ointment. The oil is just common olive oil. The ointment is very valuable and that it's in alabaster. Those things don't look like anything from the outside, but when you're inside and the light is coming through, it is otherworldly. If you've been to the Vatican, that big five-foot-high dove uh, way against the back altar, that's alabaster too. 
It's that kind of very soft, beigey brown color that's wonderful. Keep going. Uh, I was struck by this because I, I want to use this with the kids. I thought how much our kids would know if they saw this. They would see eight sides. They would see the shell. They would see um, John the baptizer baptizing Jesus. All that is wrapped up right at the door where you get baptized. Go ahead. Um, this is the front altar. This is actually a triptych. I was never there during Mass. I went in three or four times but wasn't there during Mass. That opens up to reveal the high altar. But you can see you know, the kind of care and love that's put into that. Go ahead. This was, this was fantastic. For me, life is Christ. Now that's really, and that's the famous icon from Sinai, you know, that I actually have in my office that, you know, but for me, life is Christ. That's not so far from when we say, you know, this is just what Christians do. Keep going. Uh, this is um, the patron saint's right arm. We don't have one of these. Maybe we should get one. <laughs> this is under the altar. I'm like, I turn the car, I'm like, whoa! Taking one for the cause, it's been there for about 1,700 years. It's in that case. I'm like, if you got close to it, you can see it. It's just like, hey, just waiting there for you. Um, I just, I was kind of struck by it. Keep going. Um, this is, I didn't know this was in Valencia. So I, I turn right and I look in. There's all these incense. And these old guys chanting in Latin. I'm like, can we go in there? And they, of course you can go in there if you pay. So, of course, for me, I'm willing to pay because Indiana Jones didn't get it right. The Holy Grail is right there. Yeah, you unbelievers don't think so. But um, there's a chalice. The chalice top is said to be the chalice that Jesus used, and it's been here for about 1,700 years. But this was pure glory, filled with incense. These old guys who must like end their career chanting back and forth in Latin, and this guy could barely stay awake who was celebrating, but that's okay because he's old and this is where you go. I mean, I would, you know, this is not a bad place to go in retirement. Go ahead, click ahead. So you have this great thing, and it's behind glass. You can't get to it, although they do use it to celebrate. When the Pope shows up, they actually celebrate with it. Keep going. There it is. So the top part is said to be original. I'm a bit of an agnostic here. But uh, nevertheless, it is very interesting that Valencia claims to have it. Click again. Um, this is the church in Valencia. Click again. We'll click through. This old guy, I, I bump into this guy at church. He's done a PhD and is a specialist in the formula of Concord. Book of Concord. I'm like, that's what I did too. So we had something to talk about. Keep going. Um, this is their house. We can just sort of click through here. This is just, she's a beautiful girl if anybody needs to be married. That's grandma, by the way. And this is, you know, uh, that was lunch one day. You know, just throw something together in the, this is paella a few. And you only have it, I learned, in the middle of the day because it's too heavy for the rest of the time. You do go back to work after that. Click again. That was, that is glorious. It's actually Fiduat has, uh, noodles instead of rice so but it is mussels and seafood just for your own we're still looking for stuff at the back uh back chapel mary and john under a crucifix just keep going click for me that is from the 17th century the price tag on it was 2,000 euros we're still looking for a crucifix i'm like 17th century don't have the provenance but you know holding that in your hands you're like this is a very very good thing uh, but, you know, we couldn't shake loose $3,000 for something we didn't know the provenance of. But I spent a lot of time in antique stores looking for churchly stuff. Click again. This one was, that's also 17th century, but it's about this big. We don't have any kids big enough to carry it in. We'd have to draft bigger vicars. We'd have to go for size, not speed. So uh, go ahead. This is uh, Sagrada Familia. This is that church I was completely prepared not to like. It was on 60 Minutes last week. Spent the entire day there. Very quickly, we were in a thunderstorm. We had tickets. 
This is unbelievable. We had tickets for it, and we, we get there. It's pouring down. It's horrible. Everything is going crazy. The guy won't let us in because we're 20 minutes early. He's like, you got to go back and stand out in the rain? Honestly, big clap of lightning, like in the street park right away, and the gate falls down. <laughs> and I said to the guy, it's a sign from God, and just translates. It's a sign from God. The guy's like, go in. <laughs> I mean, it was the most amazing thing. Uh, so in we went. Go ahead, click this. Uh, there it is, what it looks like when it's full. We couldn't go there on a mass for the patrons. We bent our whole trip around going to mass there, and there was a mass for patrons only. Go ahead, click again. This is over the altar. That, that Jesus is very close to being naked, which is very interesting. It just has a very thin cloth on. That's what it looks like inside. And you can see it was set up for the next day. Go ahead. Um, this is the front door, and a little, all the numbers add up in all directions on that little, uh, little puzzle to say it's 33. It was just kind of a little fun thing. Go ahead. What's truth? Jesus of Nazareth. You can, you're standing, and you can see that from a very long way away. It's like, that's right. These are all Bible verses cut in there. Evangelism work. Just and I working on Kirby at the beach. <laughs> Trying to get her believing cigars. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not easy. Okay, that's it. We've got to go. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We can talk about this a little more, but at least want to get it in your consciousness. Have fun. Sign the book. Come back. Uh, we can talk a little bit next week about it if you like. Thanks.